This episode is brought to you by Happy Mess. Happy Mess? The kids' art place? Yeah, they do art classes and sensory play and after-school programs and in-school classes and birthday parties and camps. And adult events. Buy tickets to our next paint night or book your own for your next occasion or staff party. Check it out at www.happymess.net. What's www? World Wide Web. This episode is brought to you by ServiceMaster Sea to Sky. A home is more than just a house and an office is more than just a place to work. ServiceMaster is here to offer home and business services when you need them the most. ServiceMaster handles water, flood, fire, and reconstruction services. We take on jobs big and small. There's no project we haven't seen before. ServiceMaster, the complete customer experience. Call us at 604-938-0822 or on the web, smctosky.com. That's smctosky.com. ServiceMaster Sea to Sky, restoring peace of mind. This is the Sea to Sky podcast, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. And welcome back to another episode of the Sea to Sky podcast 2022 Squamish Municipal Election coverage. Today in our podcast, in the pod shed, we have Mr. Andrew Hamilton. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you doing today? Excellent. Excellent. Nice Marcus is here with us too as well. Hello, and hello. We're going to kick around some of the issues that are, are facing Squamish in, in this election. And some of them, Andrew, I've been around a long, long time and... But first, we want to know who Andrew Hamilton is. Who is Andrew Hamilton? Andrew Hamilton is me. (laughs) Who am I? That's your question. (laughs) So, born in Barrie, Ontario, like a disturbing amount of number of people in Squamish. An alarming number of people have been born in Barrie. Anyways, moving on from that, born in Barrie, Ontario, grew up southern Ontario in a small town, spent some time in Toronto in my teenage years moved out to Edmonton at the University of Alberta for my master's degree, lived in Chicago for a little bit, lived in Geneva for a while, down to South Africa for a few years, and then back to Squamish, or back to Squamish, then to Squamish. In 2016, the end of 2016, I've got uh, a wife and two wonderful kids, and uh, I hope to spend the rest of my life here. Uh, This is an amazing place to live, and this is where I want to be, so... I want to help make this place as amazing as it can be. And you work at Quest University. I work at Quest University. What's your role there? I'm a physicist. Um, I'm a physics at Quest University. We call professors tutors. So I'm a physics tutor. Um, My primary role there is teaching physical science in a liberal arts and science degree program. So a good thing this is a political podcast and not like a, a physics one because I'd ask the most wrong questions. You, you'd flunk it. <laughs> you'd flunk it for sure. So, so Andrew, the big question to lead off, why? Why run for council for the District of Squamish? Leading up to this, uh, to this election and in the few couple years before this one, there was obviously a lot of um, negative negativity within the political sphere. The online voices that uh, were being shared that actually for some people it may have turned them away from from the political sphere for me it's a reason to get involved because that kind of um vitriol vitriol thank you anonymous jabs that sort of dirty politics is not really productive and you need people who can deal with that who can who can hear that and listen to that 
and put it to one side, compartmentalize it and say, that's what's happening over there. But I'm going to stay focused on this issue. I'm going to stay focused on the evidence that's really being presented to me. I'm going to have an informed debate with people who are willing to share their identity with people who can can speak to an issue and can provide information. And then we're going to make a decision and move on. A lot of the new candidates, those who, who aren't currently in council, they come in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and full of energy and, and kind of ready to grab life by the horns. And they seem to forget there's there is seven people in, in council chambers. And yeah. it, it takes really four on council to, to really move anything forward. Um, how do you think yourself and, and what suits you or, or what kind of character traits do you have to kind of approach your colleagues and, and to, to get matters moved forward? Yeah. So firstly, I think it's I think it's really important that the council is formed of seven independent minds coming together, making decisions, each of them bringing their own perspective. If we had, say, for example, four councillors who made a decision on the side, that makes the the intelligence, it makes the contribution, it makes the voice of the other three councillors meaningless. And that's a waste of resources. And so I think it is really important that we have seven independent minds sitting around the table. How do I approach coming to consensus or coming to agreement with people I disagree with? I think the important thing is to change even what I just said, people I disagree with. It's not people we're disagreeing with, it's ideas. We stay focused on the ideas. When we talk about Councillor X's vision for this, don't start it with Councillor X. Start it with, our topic today is X. Let's discuss the pros and cons of this thing without tying it to the people. And that's one of the things that comes from the academic sphere, the academic debates, is you need to stay focused on the ideas, not the people, because people get hurt. Ideas don't. I guess you've been out talking to the community. What certain ideas have you been listening to that we need to be broaching in, in council level or municipal level? Yes, so many, <laughs> so many, so many than I than I had sort of anticipated. Um, I mean, there's big, big issues. Uh, wood fiber LNG is a is a big concern. Parking is one that comes up in almost every single conversation I have with with people. What are your concerns? Parking comes up in that list somewhere. Active transportation, a really an amazing vision. The question is how to make it happen, how to convince people to get out of their car and in, onto their bike. Um, Childcare, an enormous challenge for people who have young children. Housing affordability, if you own a home in Squamish, you're quite lucky. If you're trying to get into the Squamish market, that's a that's a big challenge. So where do you want to start? Of <laughs> <laughs> all those things you listed, where yeah. do you want to start? Let's let's start digging into it. So I want to start actually because there's there are so many issues for so many people. One of the things I feel like we miss in the political debate is how do people approach a problem? As a counselor, how do you plan on making decisions? And I think that in our current council, uh, by the way, I, I respect a lot of the decisions our current council have made, and I am not a, what, what one might call a candidate for change. 
I think the council has made a lot of good decisions. I think they've made a few missteps that have caused some challenges, and I disagree with them on some relatively small issues, but I'm not a uh, drive for change. And in that, so your question, what are the issues? I said decision-making, okay? How should the council be making a decision? First, they need to have open communication with the community because that's who they're impacting in their decisions. But the community doesn't know everything about every topic. So they have to then go and seek other information. What are the regulations? What are the limits? What are the constraints that get put upon the council before making a decision? All kinds of environmental assessment impacts, economic impact studies need to be done when we make decisions. And that leads to an informed debate where we can actually debate not just what people want, but what are the actual constraints and then we need to make a decision. That decision needs to be timely and it needs to be transparent. We need to make, we, we can't continue to postpone decisions just because we maybe, maybe we need to do another study. Maybe we need to, sometimes we do need to do another study, but it has to be information we need, not information that we just say we need in order to delay the decision. So the decisions need to be timely and they need to be transparent. We need to be very clear on why we made a decision, not just council said this, why did council say this? Okay, so where where do we start? Then what what timely decisions have been made that you'd like you want a little bit more transparency with? Let's take the the issue of the densification of Garibaldi estates. Yeah, that was a that really that really got big. That's a very what were the words of the uh, community engagement report? Uh, one of the most contentious community engagements that district had ever seen. And what's the root of that? Everybody I've spoken to in the Garibaldi Estates neighborhood, they understand that zoning is a, a flexible thing. Zoning, the council does have the, both the right and the responsibility to change zoning within a community. A lot, I believe, that a lot of people are in that neighborhood are upset about the way that that happened. They feel like there was something happening in the back door, in the back room, that somebody made a deal with a developer that said, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we'll, we'll change this zoning for you. So then the developer goes out and knocks on some doors and tries to jump the gun there. That just puts people in a defensive stance. And council needs to make sure, absolutely sure, that before any hint to anybody that's going to speculate on real estate happens, that they've put forward to the community, here are the things that we think we need to do. Yeah, that community consultation. So you're speaking to density. Yep. And it's it really is a large, it, it's a hot topic. This is yep. one of the big topics here locally. The, the growth census over census, 24% plus uh, four years uh, in population. What's your thoughts with respect to the downtown densification that's happening right now? Do we... Do we need to pause that that development? Do do you think it's going at currently at, at the right rate? Do you think the height of the buildings is too tall? Where does that lie with, with Andrew Hamilton? I think that the downtown densification, I think that it is going at a reasonable rate right now. I think that it's important to balance parking, like we mentioned earlier. Um, well, we'll, get the, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But when we look at how do we make our community both environmentally and financially sustainable. Urban sprawl is neither environmentally nor financially sustainable 
for our community. And when people want to come into Squamish, we need to have an entry point for people to get into the real estate market if that's what they choose. And so densification within the downtown, I think is one way to achieve that. If I had a choice of an empty lot sitting downtown or a building that would house several hundred several hundred people and drive commercial um, interests, business interests downtown, I would choose a building. And the reason I ask is because we're speaking to the VLA. You know, that's a concern. I oh. mean, if they, if they see, you know, the density that's happening in downtown Squamish. So when you hear the word density being brought up in your neighborhood, I'm sure that's a reasonable fear of theirs that, hey, what we see happening there could possibly happen here. And whether yeah. they want or don't want that, it is, I believe, a legitimate concern for the residents in that area. Absolutely is a legitimate concern. They invited the uh, councillors, the candidates onto the council candidates and mayoral candidates to a garden walk. And as I was talking to one of the residents, he said uh, that numbered corporations have bought the three properties around him. He had bought this property several years ago, built a cabin in the back. He lives in the cabin in the back and his his kids live um, in the main house. And he envisioned living the rest of his life there. And then three numbered corporations bought the three lots around him. And he said to me, how will you vote when those come in front of council, when those zoning changes come in front of council? And I said to him, I can't answer that right now. I don't have enough information. And it broke my heart to not be able to say that I will vote these down because I need to think about more than just the one person who's impacted by this decision. I also need to think about the dozens of people who are needing housing. And we also need to consider what are the details of that zoning application? Are they six-story condos or are they fourplexes? Right. I mean, everything yeah. we are going to talk about today is interconnected. That's right. It, it just comes down to where do we start? That's right. Do we start with the affordability piece? Do we start with the, the density piece? Which part of the pie you stick your finger in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you take a hard stance in any one piece of the pie, if you say, I'm going to do this, you're going to make compromises in every other piece of the pie. And that's just the reality. Nobody is going to be able to do everything all at once. We're speaking to density, and it leads us into the next piece of the pie, affordability, and the creation of affordable housing to support other areas of the District of Squamish and and, and that connectivity piece, which we'll get into later. So what is your thoughts on on how we enact and how we we start to create um, more affordable living spaces for people here in Squamish? So I think affordability... um, there's a lot there. So let me look at, let me separate two types of affordability. One being subsidized housing, okay? Some kind of government regulations or government subsidies that go towards supporting people's ability to live. I'm going to take those out of the conversation for a moment and just talk about other ways to make it so that people can find ways to live here in Squamish. Having So if we think about removing any sort of government support, then the district has the power and the responsibility, I believe, to provide a varied assortment of housing options. There are, let's talk about 
a, a very flexible form of housing, van life. Yeah, that's something that was a big part of our the Squamish conversation um, about a year ago and has since died down a little bit. I think that perhaps this is a space where the council has missed an opportunity, where this is a this is a way for people to live affordably in Squamish. The challenge is they need a place in Squamish. I don't agree that living in a van on the side of a residential street is an appropriate place to live. But if Squamish were to find a place like much like a marina where you can park your boat, pay for the services that you use and live on your boat more affordably than you can own a home, can we do that for vans? I'd need to absolutely see the the reality of that cuz land is expensive here in Squamish. Um all the way up to supporting people to put in um, additional suites in their homes. I've done that. I'm doing that myself. I'm gently densifying Garibaldi Highlands by adding a, an addition to my home that's going to have a rental suite in it. When I did that, I thought to myself, I don't like driving down a street with tons of cars parked on either side. So I need to take it upon myself to provide parking for the future tenant. I know that that's not possible for everybody. And so that's it's, it's a consideration the district needs to take into, into account. It may not be possible for everybody. So gentle densification in the form of uh, suites and having a variety of living spaces available. But generally when people build their suites, they tend to go towards the short-term rental angle. You know, long-term rents uh, doesn't generate as much income as say the short-term rentals. There's arguments for and against the short-term rentals because we are a tourist community. Mm-hmm. What would be your argument to or for making that either a short-term or keeping it as a long-term? Right. Like, what are the benefits? Like, what would you offer? Or like, what, what incentives can I have to make either choice? The benefits, obviously there's benefits in either direction, right? Um, what I would like to see is, and, I, and I, I need to look to see if it's out yet, but I believe that the district was, uh, was doing a study on the impact of the short-term, the recent short-term rental um, bylaw changes, and I want to see the impact. I want to see what actually, what changes actually happened with the with the enactment of the of the tightening of those of those bylaws around short-term rentals. You could say that the the long-term rental market is being reduced because people are choosing short-term rental, but how many of the people that had short-term rental actually? moved to a long-term rental scenario. I don't know the answer to that. I do know people, when the Airbnb laws came in, just shut down their suite and didn't go into a long-term rental scenario. That's not supporting either cause, right? Um, That's reducing densification. That's reducing ability um, for people to afford the mortgages they're paying. And it's reducing tourism dollars. So I'd like to see the evidence before I say whether it's good or not well I, I can safely say it didn't work for tofino people just took their homes off the market they took their, their suites off the market they didn't go back in the long-term rental pool and tofino still in the same mess so i'm assuming the same results are going to happen here even though the data's not been released but it's safe to assume that other places tried the same thing it didn't work and then we tried the same thing here when the whole thing came out it's like they, they already did it and it's <laughs> already been proven didn't work why are you doing it <laughs> okay <laughs> 
And now we're waiting for the report to give us the same reason. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It didn't work here. Yeah. I think that's what's what's come of it is Andrew is that the results are negligible. As you said, your example is the same as my example. That is, I don't know anybody who had a short-term rental who said, "Ah, oh, you know what? Council's totally right. Let me make it a long-term rental." No. They just simply took it off the market. Bulk majority are wanting to use that space in, in, on their own accord. Maybe it's they have family coming to town and they use yeah. it. I'm with you. I think I've, I've seen more examples of people just, well, I guess I'm not renting it out anymore. And yeah. it is what it is. So a more important question than whether the decision was correct is if the decision was incorrect, how did they come to an incorrect decision? What piece did they miss? Did they miss the community consultation? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure there was quite a bit of community consultation and the community spoke from that I heard spoke quite loudly that that, that we shouldn't enact an Airbnb bylaw. Did the informed decision making happen? Did they go out and investigate what the impact was in other communities? I I don't know. I haven't dug into the, the meeting minutes, the council meeting minutes on this issue. And then were the decisions timely and transparent? Yeah, I think they were. So where in the decision-making process did it fall is, is more important than whether it was the right decision or not at this point. While we're touching on that subject, it would seem right now our industry is development and recreation tourism. The removal of the short-term rentals has an impact on the tourism dollar. The bed space in Squamish has a direct impact on tourism. And without the ability to house these people and keep them locally, there's an inability or we are losing tourism dollars. What is your thought with respect to the creation of bed space for tourism specifically? You said that we need tourism bed space in order to host tourists. Absolutely true. Uh, If that uh, bed space and maybe include camping and whatnot. But to get the tourism dollars here, we need places for them to stay. In order to support the tourist industry, we need beds available to the people that work in the tourist industry. And those are typically not high paying jobs. So we need both affordable housing, we need beds for people to work the tourist industry, and we need beds for people to be the tourist industry. These are two conflicting realities. The tough point is you could make an argument in either direction, but you need to find the balance between the two. The first thing I would do to try to find that balance is ask the question, how many beds do we think we need? Is there a a surplus demand for tourist beds or is there a surplus supply of tourist beds in Squamish right now? I don't actually know the answer to that. I would assume Squamish tourism does know the answer. If that's going to be a driver of the economy, uh, because we're going to touch back now on the diversification of the economy. I mean, the biggest taxpayers in this town is coming from our property taxes. The biggest tax contributors in this town is Squamish Terminals, Walmart, and maybe LNG, whenever that starts going. Um, so, I mean, diversifying the economy in terms of bringing in industry, whether it's boosting tourism to basically get more tax dollars into the coffers. So you've seen it, you've owned a property here, how the property taxes have been going up. And a lot, that's what people usually are affected by when they see their municipal government. It's like, <laughs> why is my tax bill higher? <laughs> what? What? So, I mean, yes, there's been extra costs in terms of police and fire and all that sort of stuff. These are costs that we have to pay for, but there's got to be a ways of generating more income, whether it is supporting tourism, that means building those beds. Any ideas perhaps to sort of increase tax income coming to the municipality? 
wood fiber is obviously a a complicated a, a big issue right a, a complex a complex issue which has benefits and has downfalls if you were to put it simply should we get should wood fiber come or not that question comes with all sorts of caveats how many tax dollars are they putting what is the actual impact uh, the an actual environmental impact both locally and globally do, do more tax dollars is are we able to offset the environmental impact morally by collecting more tax dollars i'm not sure that's possible but when we say where should our tax base come from i think that squamish has been on a continued movement away from industrial uh, a reliance on industrial on an industrial tax base and i do think we can continue in that direction i think that we're at a a point in our society that a bedroom community does not necessarily mean a bunch of people who commute somewhere there are going to be a lot of people there are a lot of people who have already moved to squamish who are purchasing homes here and this is going to development as a as a driver a residential development people moving here working somewhere else but being physically here remote work is a big change in our in the way our society is going to function and the way our economies are going to function and i think that squamish is really well poised to take advantage of it because we're in exactly the right place for somebody who needs to be in Vancouver two days a week and they want to be spending two days a week here and maybe a day or two in, in Whistler. So I think that we need to look at a different modality and I don't think it's going to be industry. Well, then how do you diversify the, the, the tax income? Because that just sounds like more property taxes to me. That doesn't sound like business coming in and helping buffer those coffers so we can build Brennan Park. We can get that extra ice sheet. We can get all those things. It just seems like, to me, that sounds like more burden on me and my tax dollars instead of bringing in more. Right. So how much can the tourist dollar go up? How, mu- how much more can we pull in from tourist dollars? How much more can we turn pull in from non-industrial business, from companies, let's, just because we saw Chris just a moment ago, let's say Penny AI, right? How much revenue can we are we gaining from the businesses that are choosing to run their operations from here? Pinkbike, businesses that run operations from here, we gain tax revenue from them, and they don't have a dramatic impact on our environment. Yeah. Can we find more of that? So more green tech, rec tech. Yep. There are so many wants and needs versus the amount of money that's coming in. Our ins versus outs right now is grossly skewed. Our borrowing power is... Well, because we keep we keep densifying and we keep expanding, and with that expansion means infrastructure, and infrastructure costs money. We're limited in terms of of money because again, most of the taxes come from the the property tax owners, right? So this is why I keep harping on this particular topic, not because I'm a homeowner and I, I keep paying property tax and it pisses me off. We have lots of wants and we have lots of needs, and a lot of the needs are not necessarily open to the community. Everyone sees the shiny wants. It's just breaking down that nuance right and but everyone's been talking about Brennan Park for four years every or longer than that everyone's been talking about these issues for a long time it just seems like like we seem to have always these big needs this is why I ask these questions about yeah. how do we bring in more money so we can get more of these needs so we can stop complaining about our taxes <laughs> I think complaining about taxes is an inevitability no nobody 
likes paying any tax. It's not a, it's not something that we see as a, we don't generally as a society say, oh, I really want to pay you many thousands of dollars to, right? Well, but, I mean, I want my roads, my roads plowed. I, I want to right. flush my toilet. I want to right. be able to get my water. I mean, I understand the, the need for taxes, but I mean, if I'm paying a, if I'm paying a certain amount, which is above and beyond fire, police and sewage and stuff. I mean, you know, you compare ourselves to other towns that are similar size and they have a lot more amenities than we do. Mm -hmm. So how do we catch up? How do we catch up or how did we get to the point we're at? Those are two different questions. And I think how did we get to the point that we're at is an important question. Our community developed a lot in the 60s and 70s. Infrastructure was put in massive amounts of roads and water lines that have in the past 10 years been needing upgrading. But it's an enormous cost to the taxpayer. One that we, if a community is growing instead of in bursts, right? If a community grows in bursts 30 years later, boom, 40 years later, you're going to be replacing a lot of infrastructure. But if it's growing slowly and steadily, you get into a cycle of basically a capital replacement cycle. I, I haven't seen, I haven't really looked very hard either, but was there a capital replacement plan 30 years ago? When you install something, you not only need to think about how much it's costing you to install it, you need to think about how much it's going to cost you to replace it in 30 years or 40 years when you need to replace it. So that $20 million we're spending on the public works yard, that's awesome. That's not the end of the story. That is the start of the next public works yard that's going to need to be planned. And I think that fiscal responsibility in municipal governance takes care of not just what needs to be done now, but what's going to need to be done. That's one of the aspects of density that is really valuable and important to consider. A denser neighborhood costs the municipality a lot less money. Running 300 meters of road for four houses is expensive versus running 300 meters of roads for two apartment buildings. If we fall behind, if the municipality is falling behind in its finances, it's because either we're spending too much money on something, and I, I don't know what that would be, or we're not collecting enough income. And if we collect income, if we start to say we need to diversify and we need wood fiber in order to get a tax base, we need to seriously ask ourselves the moral implications of that. So we, we've been we've been talking at length of some of the issues we've been facing. Now we like move into like a rapid fire sort of scenario where I throw out a topic and you just give us sort of a short answer. Uh, practice for when you have to do those roundtables. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. So the first one, of course, we talked about density, and you think our growth rate is okay. You don't want to speed it up or slow it down. We're good with where we're what we're doing. Definitely don't want to speed it up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, slowing it down is going to have a significant impact of increasing affordability. It's a decreasing affordability, in increasing the cost of housing. Uh, next up then would be, we, I guess we touched on this too, it would be the Garibaldi Estates. You are very tempered in that one. I, I believe you're like, I need more evidence. Would you develop if the right circumstances come about? Garibaldi Estates, I think, is, a, is a, an example. We need to take a moment get an actual plan on the table. That's due at the end of this year. Have an a, another meaningful consultation with the community with an actual plan on the table. Is it okay to put a duplex here? Is it okay to put triplexes? Is it okay to put 
a massive eight-story apartment building. That densification goes everywhere from a duplex to an eight-story condo. And we need to have a conversation on the reality of what densification actually means. All right, let's fly out to Garibaldi and Squamish. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Flying out to the ridge. Um, so Garibaldi at Squamish. So um, if you were to say for or against Garibaldi at Squamish, what is Garibaldi at Squamish? Is it a carbon neutral, zero waste, environmentally friendly, socially responsible resort that's going to honestly move towards truth and reconciliation with the Squamish nation whose territory it will sit on? then yes, I'm in favor of it. If it's going to be a corporation who's drawing income from one more of the natural resources that we have in Squamish, not giving anything back to the community and just creating a a luxury experience for tourists, no, I'm not in favor. The reality is going to be somewhere in between the two. And so I don't think a yes or no can, can really do that any justice. And I think uh, we well, we we went on length about the LNG thing, so I don't think we need to hash back on the LNG thing. Uh, Crumpet Woods. Oh goodness, that's somewhere I need more information. That's somewhere I haven't really looked into it. Well, I guess to tying into Chima then. <laughs> no, <laughs> Chima. Yeah. So I, I live in the Highlands, and so I have walked past the development permit sign just about every day um, for the last several years. I think that. One of the concerns I have about the Chima lands is the fairness of the rezoning process. One of the primary complaints that I've heard from the Chima family is that the process has not been fair. Independent of what the outcome of the process is, the participants need to believe it's fair. And so that's, to me, that's the primary concern. Whether Chima lands should be developed or not, that's a question of population growth versus environmental impact versus financial viability and sustainability of our municipal infrastructure. Brennan Park improvements and amenities. Brennan Park, I would I would love to put a swimming pool in my yard. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. My kids would love it, but I would rather have a toilet that flushes. When we look at the real estate um, and facilities master plan, it identifies Brennan Park as a facility that needs upgrading. It also identifies the uh, municipal building as a place that needs inf- that needs upgrading. I read in the paper a while ago, a year or so ago, that they were considering leasing space for Muni Hall. And I thought, that's an insane idea. Why would they do that? And I looked into it, and it's they're considering leasing uh, Muni Hall so that they can afford the upgrades to Brennan Park. To me, that seems like... A financially irresponsible thing to do because you're putting yourself in a negative in one category in order to get yourself a want in another category uh reconciliation a big subject not just here locally but but obviously nationally currently the squamish nation does not have an intergovernmental accord with the district of squamish hmm. no current document that spells out the role and expectations for Squamish Nation of the DOS and the DOS of the Squamish Nation. We have only had one and it was in the early 90s. There was not one before and there hasn't been one after. Um, We also do not have a current services agreement with any of the reservation lands here in Squamish. Given reconciliation is, is a big topic these days. How do you or how would you approach these topics? I would approach the topic of reconciliation with open ears. 
I am not in a position to say what we should do. If I am on council and have a role in this, in, in the decisions on making agreements and, and setting, uh, setting agreements, then I think the most important thing we can do is listen. Listen to what the nation wants for their sovereignty on their territorial lands. All right. So we've been peppering you with some questions here. Uh, so now this is the time where we give you a chance to do a spiel. Where mm. Basically, when someone comes up to you, hi, Andrew, why should I vote for you? Elevator pitch. Yeah. Who is Andrew Hamilton? <laughs> what do you stand for? <laughs> what is going on? When, right. you, when you knock on that door. what? Yeah. yeah. Well, so when I knock on the door, my question is, what do you think council can do? Because that's what I want to hear. I'm more interested in hearing what people think council can do. Isn't that a JFK thing? Yeah. Is that, is that a JFK what thing? What council can do for you? Oh, what you yeah, ask what you're going to do. Your country? Your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. Hey, subconscious. It's, it's, it's a scholar in you. That, that's what it is. So, elevator pitch. So, I think it's been interesting to see, um, to go through people asking, what's your platform, right? And I think that my platform has come is is really about it's not about things it's not about brennan park it's not about lng it's not about garibaldi at squamish it's about how the council acts to make decisions and i think that we need to prioritize open and humble community consultation informed and respectful debate timely and transparent decision making if that process is followed, we obviously need to have a set of priorities that we follow. And I think for, for me, my priorities are financially and environmentally sustainable infrastructure, those things that the district has a responsibility to provide. It needs to be uh, have produce fair and reasonable development zoning, and it needs to have responsible and reliable recreation facilities that and that's an ordered priority we have to have i put environmental and financial sustainability of our infrastructure over recreation facilities so out of all the things we talked about is is there anything you you think we missed that you want to share no i'm you're fine yeah i'm fine thank you very much we have touched on a lot we did lots of stuff oh yeah so the only thing that's left is how people can get in touch with you where can they email you or message you or Andrew for Squamish.ca. You'll see it's my website on there. You'll see my email address, which is Andrew at Andrew for Squamish.ca. Few too many Andrews there, but did what I could. <laughs> any hey, social yeah. media, any Facebook, Insta, any of that stuff? Not really. I do have a. <laughs> not really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, says the guy with a thousand, two thousand followers. He cringes in his corner. Uh, no, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay with it. I don't use it enough. I just no. so many bloody platforms. I don't know where to go. When when people, we're old school, apparently. Yeah, 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 apparently, yeah. I'm a dinosaur because uh, Facebook is my go-to. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, Andrew, and uh, best of luck in the campaign. Hopefully, uh, you get out there, do some door knocking, and everything turns out well for you. Thanks, Marco. Same. Thanks to you. Yeah. Thank okay. you very much for showing up and uh, for coming out and, and, and getting peppered today. Great. Thanks very much. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky podcast. Thank you for clicking us on. 